We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Today's episode is sponsored by ChrisTaylorRacing.com. Welcome to Driven to Compete. I'm Kerry Rouse, and I travel to racetracks around the U.S., where I interview members of the racing community and share their stories as a form of inspiration for our community. All right, I'm here with Mike Casino, and we are at Bristol Motor Speedway, and we're here for an SCCA, two events for SCCA. Correct. Uh, Pro Solo, and then the National Tour Solo. Yes. Um, and so this is um, not common to have both of them in the same, uh, right back to back, but uh, it brings in a lot of extra people. This is probably one of the bigger events. Yeah, so they refer to this as Summer Nats. So this is a summer event where we have the pro and the tour. There's also something called Spring Nats that happens over that Memorial Day weekend, I believe, uh, in Lincoln, Nebraska. So the same place that the actual national championship occurs, they also do a pro and a tour back-to-back there as well. Oh, interesting. So it happens two times a year. That one probably gets even more people to show up because it's at the actual site where the national championships happen. Uh, But both of the events here capped out. So they're full for as many people as could get in, you know, they let in. How many, how many competitors are here? Do you know? I'd have to check. I think it's somewhere. It's it's in the high. It may be three hundred something. Okay. I'm not sure what they set the cap for. It's either in like two fifty or three hundred. The class system is it the same type of classes in both um, type of competitions? All of the classes that are represented in a normal national tour event are present in a pro solo. But due to the amount of people coming and the difference in classes, they sometimes index the classes together. So some of the classes that don't have enough people to make a class on their own to have enough competition, they will turn into index classes. So there's all of the race tire cars are like higher end race tire cars are R1 and R2, like a split of mod cars and prepared cars. Um, There's some street tire classes, S1, S2, S3, S4, like it's just various different paces of cars trying to keep similar cars together. And then uh, all of the ladies' classes. So at national events, you have open, where you have open class and ladies' class of each class of car, and each class in the category of car has a ladies' class associated with it. Here for the pros, they put them all in the index classes. So there's ladies one, two, three, and maybe four. Changes some years, but uh, so all of the ladies' classes run on index against each other. Well, what does that mean, run on index? So it's like a handicap system, like golf. Okay. So it's it's um, the system that is used the most is called PAX. 
it's a performance. I don't know what the abbreviation for, but it's it's a racer's theoretical performance thing. So it's RTP and PAX. I don't really know. We can look it up afterwards, and I can show you. But um, it's uh, it's based theoretically on the best driver driving the best setup car on the same course. You know, all of the cars should end up running in equal time. Different courses, different situations, pluses and minuses. It's 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 a black art, and it's not perfect. It's not actually endorsed by the SCCA. The packs that gets put out is by Rick Ruth, who's done it for years, and it's his own system, and he doesn't really tell people how he comes up with the equation, but he uses it, and pretty much everybody who autocrosses on a serious level understands packs, looks at it, uses it for comparison at local events where you may only have 80 people at an event, and you want to compare yourself against people running in different heats or mm -hmm. running different cars. It's a good way to do it. Uh, but for the pro solos, for the index classes, SECA sort of cribs off of some of the work that Rick has done and makes their own packs handicap system for these events. So when they have to combine classes together, they can do that. Got it. Uh, yeah. Any open class that has less than five people, or any class that has less than five people, they get put into bump class. So there's a class here called B or bump, and that's all of the classes where they didn't have enough competitors to make their own class. So even in index class R1, I think only had four drivers. So that index class got put into a bump index class with all the other less than five driver uh, uh, classes. Got it. And then when all those get combined, there'll be you know, a handicap for each person accordingly. Only for the cars. It's only for the class. It's not for the person. But, uh, okay. But so the, the time where that comes in is at the end of the pro uh, competition. So pro solo works. It's two separate courses um, and there's three heats of competition. Uh, each heat, you get four runs, two runs on each side of the course alternating start on one and then move over um, you do that and then at the end of competition there's something called a, a super challenge or a ladies challenge where they take uh, I think I think the split is by how much you won your class by so it's all class winners and then the closest finishers in the classes after the winner to fill out 32 competitors okay uh, and then there there's a handicap based on what the index of your class was uh, so whoever won the class sets the index for the class for the challenge, and that's what you get to race other cars against. Okay, yeah, that was that was not explained to me earlier. I just thought that they took the 32 fastest times regardless of where you were at. That's not the no. case. Yeah, no, so it's, it's, it is class winners, and then it gets filled in by whoever is the closest to their class winner. Okay, so very cool. So if, say, there were 20 classes, mm -hmm. you take the top 20, and then somebody finished point zero zero one behind their class winner. They would be the twenty first person, then so on and so yeah. forth as the gap increased. All, all of the all of the people beyond twenty, the twenty one through thirty two, yeah, theoretically could theoretically come from one class because could, yeah. all of them are within you know the tight uh, enough of a gap. Yeah, tight on in in the slowest class. Yeah, yeah, it could be. Yeah, yeah. So that's where the handicap is. It's like you don't have to have the fastest car here to be able to. Yeah. This is so people who can only afford to, sorry, who choose to race like a B-Spec car, your equivalent of a B-Spec car, or an H-Street car here, where yep. Fiestas and yep. Base Civics, you know, stuff like that, can race up against a A-Mod car, which has basically almost unlimited aero. Like, there's a limit to wing area, but there's very little limit in what they can do to accomplish their goal. Well, like a Corvette can race against a Miata or, you know, a shifter yeah. cart can race against, you know, a Mini Cooper. Like that's the goal of it is to be able to mix the cars together because, you know, we don't have to race 
wheel to wheel on track, so there's not really a need to balance the performance that way. You know, we balance the performance with the handicap. So for the challenge, so for pro solos, there's the drag tree, as you've seen. Yeah. So it's sort of like bracket racing, essentially. So, you know, if you had a K-Mod shifter cart go up against Nate Street Fiesta in the challenge, the lights would come down from the Fiesta of, like, six seconds before the shifter cart got the lead. Oh, really? It's, and it, then, it, it actually goes... Yeah. So if you had, if you both had perfect reaction times in the challenge yeah. and ran dead on your index, both of those cars would theoretically finish at the exact same time. Okay. But the gap would be the difference in what they're expected to run. Okay, and so the handicap shows up as differences in how the timing tree works for either side. Yeah, it, it yeah. It's just when the lights start. It will work the same, but like your your yeah. delay will be the difference in index between the two classes. Gotcha. And it's 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 yellow, 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 green with a half second between all of yeah. them. Yeah, sportsman tree, five hundred tree rather, and the pro tree, which is the flash all the lights at once and go. Okay. All right. Yeah, I was noticing. Um, you know, you you're trying to get a perfect, as close to perfect without going under. What happens if your reaction is, is and you know going from the last yellow to the green it's less than half second that 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 didn't count right that run doesn't count it's funny you asked me that because i had a 499 light earlier today and i cost myself seven seconds seven tenths of a second of an improvement on that side of the course so i was one one thousandth of a second too fast to react and my time gets counted as a red light my time does not get added it's it doesn't get added the equivalent of a dnf you know yeah, okay. it, it is it is scratched from the record i can still see what the time is and i can figure out how much time i would have gained but it cannot count for me yeah oh my that is you don't get any closer than that yeah so let me ask you this there there's two beams and a third beam mm-hmm. and then the one beam is one light the next beam is you know you get both lights ready to go they know both cars are in a position mm-hmm. Does the timer start for for your car once it passes the third beam, or does it start for your car when your car starts moving? It, it, it starts when you break the guard beam, I believe, which the, is the third, beam, the third beam, which is the indicator that like there has been movement, okay. essentially. Because yeah. like you could roll backwards out of the stage beam. Yeah. It's not really something that would happen, but like, it, I. I You'd have to look. I did read the rules last night about the guard beam. I don't remember exact details. I'm pretty sure it's when you engage that last beam. Yeah. Because only the two lights are on. So the guard beam is not engaged. And then when you move forward, you trip that beam. Yeah. So I think that's what gives you your reaction time. And the total times you see on the results right now is an elapsed time. So it is your time on course plus your reaction time. Oh, okay. Interesting. Okay. So your reaction time does matter for your competition results. Okay. So if you sit there for a second and don't go, the time that you will get will be a second longer yeah. than the time that you were moving on course. That makes sense. And then I, I know they call it reaction time, but it's it's kind of like timing time. Like it's a half a second every yeah. time yeah. from the from that yellow to that green. Just be good at being a half second later, right? Or just do do you do you literally kind of wait for the green or do you anticipate the green no you have to because nobody can react instantly yeah yeah so uh so my strategy is pretty much as i'm seeing the last yellow light come on is when i start to you know get the car to move so i have the car lined up manual transmission car i have my rev set and i am holding the clutch right before the bite point yeah. I'm just holding it, you know, most of the way up the travel. And then as I see the light come on, I'm starting to roll my feet in and then trying to get the car moving. Because 
you know, you have to overcome the stiction of the car sitting still, and you have to have the time it takes for your foot to move. And that's how you have to shoot for it, because, you know, that's how I end up with a four ninety nine. You know, it's a little too soon. But when you see people who are new at it, I've seen people cut, like, two or one reaction time lights. They just see the light and they go. And, like, they, there's no real... No pause, but then you also see people doing nine, you know, point nine, one second lights, and it's whatever anybody's comfortable with is fine. I personally think if you're going to be serious about it, if you can shoot for being at five ninety nine as your target, you should be happy. Um, there's a lot of you know drag racing. Okay, you look at pro stock drag racers. Anything over like point zero zero five or like point zero zero eight, they're going to be upset that they were that that far off, but your reaction time and then you're driving the car straight if the car runs properly that's really the only thing you can affect to make your run faster yeah this 30 some odd second autocross i can give up two tenths of the tree to not lose my run before it starts and yeah there's more to be gained on track so yeah, yeah. i don't you know when i did bracket racing and drag racing in the past i would shoot for like a 550 light you know if i was, that's like a target now if i can be in the fives i'm happy low sixes like that's fine if yeah I, want to sit up there and give up three four tenths of a second so yeah so um what do you drive i have a 2022 brz uh d street so street class allows for 200 treadwear tires of any width that you can get to fit on your rim uh, your wheel must remain the same width as stock but it can go plus or minus one inch diameter uh, for allowing for tire size and availability and whatnot nowadays um, you're allowed one sway bar either a front or rear and um, catback exhaust, you can run a replacement drop-in filter, and shock absorbers. And you can play up the bump stops as well. But that's that's it. That's all of the modifications the cars are allowed. Got it. And then that's for all cars or just that's the model? For, that's for street class. Okay. Uh, so then you have, like, street touring, where you're allowed, like, headers, tunes, cold air intakes, camber plates, coilovers... You know, there's a limit on the wheel size, but it will be different from stock. There's a limit on your tire size, uh, but still on 200 treadwear street tires. Uh, street prepared comes after that. That's on Hoosiers and allows more levels of modification up the street modified. Uh, the black Audi that's down there by the big trailer, that's a street modified car. You know, you can see his radiators move to the trunk. Yeah, He's I got noticed. a fan out the back. I mean, the car's a lot of things. That car has been torn down the frame before and like rebuilt like it's once you get in the street mod you can do a lot of work you can't move the pickup points for the suspension but you can run drop spindles to effectively change your geometry okay um it gets a lot more detailed a lot more involved you get a lot more race car type stuff heim joints instead of you know rubber bushings or polyurethane delrin so it's just escalating levels of preparation yeah i saw him run earlier and he had a he had a 27.2 car's fast yeah car's fast jay's worked really hard at that car um He's removed a ton of weight from it. He's been very, very fastidious about getting the weight out of that car. S4 is not a light car. Yeah. Uh, but he's also swapped the engine. That was a supercharged V6 at first. Now he has a uh, twin turbocharged uh, V8 from a newer generation Audi in there now. Wow. So, <laughs> but so I, I also, you know, I, I also have a street prepared Corvette. It's been too much for me to keep up with on the mechanical side. So it's sitting right now until I get back to it bought a street class car so i could just do events and just drive and not have to worry about maintaining the car yes it's just not what i want to work on right now so. yeah yeah but you know some people really enjoy building cars like i know people who 
want to be able to build a car that can win a national championship, they don't care if they can win a national championship. They just want to know that they can build a car capable of that. So it's something that you're, you may not be familiar with, or maybe you know, but we haven't discussed yet. Autocross, we can have co-drivers, right? So you can have two drivers in the same car in the same class uh, at an event. And the way it works is you alternate runs at a national tour. One driver runs and the other, one driver and the other. So for your three runs per day for a national tour versus yeah. the pro here where you do your set of runs as one driver and then the other driver runs. And um, there's a lot of reasons for that. Some people drive with friends just because bonding experience. Some people like having somebody there to split the cost with. Some people want a faster driver in the car to help them develop as a driver or help them show that the car is capable of what it is. Like I said, there's some people who just want to build a national caliber car car that can win a national championship and they're proud of having built the car that can win yeah maybe they don't care to work on their driving they care to work on building so but maybe once the car's won a few times they start focusing on okay let's work on me because now the car is not the issue and so everybody gets something different out of it we all take this very seriously we all really enjoy it but in the grand scheme of things it's just enjoying what you get out of it because you know penske's not watching we're, yeah. we're, we're not trying to I, the majority of people accept the fact that we are not going to be making a living out of racing. Majority of these people are, you know, IT professionals, engineers, or various other jobs. But people who have set in having a career and this is a hobby. Yeah. This, is, this is our golf. Yep. Uh, we spend longer times driving to further away places and probably invest more money in it than people do in golf, which may be surprising to some people <laughs> to stand around in a parking lot. But, yeah. Um, now, you're from... Uh Charlotte. I live in Charlotte. I'm originally from New Jersey, uh, northern New Jersey, but I've been in Charlotte since I was 18. I'm 37 okay. now. Okay. So. All right. And um, you, you said earlier, you said you won a national championship? I won a national championship in my SSP Corvette, so Super Street Prepared Corvette, in 2018. Okay. So. Man. So I've heard in Nebraska can be a lot of fun at the at the nationals it's a good party i mean it's 1300 people at an airport for a week in nebraska mm -hmm. um it's it's comic-con with less cosplay um uh, it's just like a good I, I see it more as a vacation at this point like i go to compete and i do enjoy competing but i do six runs over the course of the week i'm there it's six minutes of driving for you know 16 hours each way 32 hours of driving to get there and then however many hours hanging out with friends at the airport it's it's more about the culture, it's more about the environment than it is about the racing, in which that's the enjoyable thing. Like, you don't have to be there to win a national championship to enjoy yourself. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, it's just a good group of people. Uh, seems to attract a lot of similar mindsets, uh, a lot of similar humors and personalities, and it, it's a place where I think a lot of people can feel comfortable being themselves when maybe they aren't that comfortable in normal life and it's a place to just feel relaxed and not to worry yeah. so much when they're doing what they love you know and yeah. other people that like it um do, do you have a favorite uh, no they, they they for autocross you know it's all based on cones sure. every time it's different yeah but do you have a favorite location you like to go to um i mean just lincoln because it's a pilgrimage type thing it's like you know people that go to burning man like yeah. it's just like oh yeah i'm getting ready to go to lincoln i'm going to go here for coffee i'm going to go here for dinner i'm gonna hang out with these people now uh, we've spent a lot of time doing this and for as many issues as social media might have it does at least allow me to keep in touch with the people i know from racing that i see once a year in nebraska yeah. like it's hard like i have friends who live in the pacific northwest i see them once a year in nebraska and i'm really happy to see them so just 
from that alone, that makes it enjoyable. Every, every event site is different. And some people complain about sites, some people complain about different things, about courses. I try to look at each event as a challenge to myself, and if I do well, then I'm happy. I, I don't want to blame the environment I'm in for being doing poorly. I just want to feel like I'm doing well, and therefore don't really play favors with places. There's places I will probably put less effort into going to. Uh -huh. But man, I just I just like driving. So. Um, you mentioned you raced or you did drag racing before. What other forms of racing have you been involved in? So I my first car was a '95 Impala SS. I got into drag racing when I was younger with the Impala Group. So Impala SS Club of America would go and do uh, bracket racing with them. English Town, New Jersey, a few places in the Northeast, down to like Mid Atlantic. Did that for a while until I was at a car show uh, in my hometown. It's like, I was still 17 or I just turned 18. And I parked next to a guy um, who suggested, he said, hey, have you ever heard of autocross? I said, no, uh, what's that? And he explained it to me. And racing and cars have been a passion my whole life. My mom, it took until in my mid-30s that she finally admitted to my girlfriend that my first word was car. Uh, she had told me my whole life that it was my third word because I guess she felt embarrassed that it wasn't mom. Um, <laughs> so I've sort of been stuck in this my whole life. But uh, so he told me about autocross. It's like, wow, it's an opportunity to do more things with cars. And I still like drag racing. I think it's cool. But I got into this and I've stuck with it for a long time. It's been over half my life now I've been doing this. So I've done that. I've done uh, rental karting. Um, or like, you know, wheel-to-wheel -wheel kart racing. I uh, competed in the rental karting world championship in Charlotte in 2019. Uh, finished second in two of the heat races, made the super final. Um, was going to go to Portugal in 2020 for the championships, but, you know, things sort of got canceled. Uh, so I haven't gotten back to that yet. So I've done that. Do a good amount of sim racing when I can. Um, yeah, I've, I've done a lot of things. There's nothing I with a car I wouldn't like to do. I mean, I really would love to be in something with like 10 inches of suspension travel at some point, like a Baja yeah, truck, and just yeah. feel what that's like. But, you know, I just, I enjoy getting to get the most out of a vehicle and just enjoying the experience of getting the opportunity to just be left with the opportunity to do what I can. Yeah. Um, I've driven a lot of cars. It hasn't come up naturally, but like, I've autocrossed over 500 cars probably at this point. I've... <laughs> Uh, Grassroots Motorsports a magazine uh, based out of Florida, they do an event called the $2,000 Challenge, um, 2000X Dollar Challenge. Ostensibly, the car is supposed to be built for the uh, numerical value of the year that it is. And, you know, there's leeway, like with Lemons and Chup Car, where, like, safety items aren't counted in that. You're getting, get, you get a set of tires outside of budget, but... You know, people put a lot of effort into this, like, literally, like, finding scrap aluminum on the side of the road and, like, using it to build intake manifolds and type stuff. So a lot of creativity. Uh, but that event is autocross, drag racing, and a car show. And a lot of the teams that build cars don't have any experience with autocross. So since that challenge started, I think it was back, well, if it was in the late 90s or the early 2000s, uh, they've always allowed pro drivers to come down and drive for the teams. So the teams get six autocross runs to set a time. They can use three of those runs on a pro driver. I've gone and done that event three times, and the last time I did it last year, I drove 48 runs in 18 cars in one day. <laughs> so, yeah, I've, I've driven a lot of stuff. I just, I just like driving. We took it all. We brought them to our land. 
An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. What's what's been your favorite card to autocross? Once again, like if I'm getting the most out of it, I'm entertained. Out of all of the cars I've driven, there have only been like two cars that were so uneventful that they made note that they were just there was no joy out of it. Like I drove a Chevy Sonic once, and it's like no, it doesn't handle well. But it also didn't have enough power that it was fast enough to have me need to push it through court. It was just a it was so you couldn't explore the mediocre limits that it had. <laughs> well, I've, I've driven 72 C10 pickup truck with, you know, lap belts and the bench seat and the steering wheel that's this big and an open differential. It's like this much steering and this much throttle, the rear tires on fire. <laughs> I've driven shifter carts. Um, like I said, my first autocross car was a 95 Impala. It's 4,100 pounds and, you know, 15 feet long. Like, it's not a good car to start with, but I enjoyed driving it. So, yeah. um, yeah, it's hard to say what a favorite car is. I just, it, I like I said, I take a lot more out of my personal experience of enjoying and feeling like I did well than what the actual thing itself is. Have you? I know it's a really safe sport, but uh, have you been aware of any you know incidences that have happened that uh, were you know I don't know something something happened with the car, something happened with sure. the person? Yeah, I mean things have happened. I mean it's it's anything about motorsports is dangerous, right? I mean, we have vehicles moving and things can happen. You know, people can get lost, things can break, and, you know, just situational. Nobody did anything wrong and things can still go wrong. Um, nothing's happened to me. I've been autocrossing for 19 years and doing average probably 15 to 20 events a year for all those years. And I've never had a physical incident that injured a car through, like, contact with anything. That parts break, but that's racing. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah something we are lucky for and I'm, I'm, I don't have to mention the company name because there's no need for a plug but there is autocross insurance um, you actually for the whole year insure your car at events uh, for a really reasonable price like I pay I renewed my policy last night for uh, $270 for the entire year what I mean does that help what if, what if you blow a water pump is it no it's, it's for damage to the car okay so like if you know, something were to happen and say, say a wheel broke yeah. and then the car rolled. Yeah. Yeah. Like obviously my normal highway, you know, like day to day, daily driver insurance would not cover something like that. This would, this yeah. is, this is okay. competition insurance. Yeah. And so for the equivalent of what ended up being like $22 a month, uh, like if somebody ran into me at an event, like their car broke and hit me. I could just claim through that and I guess they would go after yeah. those people for money and I wouldn't have to worry about like being out the money for my car or risking my personal insurance for, you know, highway driving. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It also covers all drivers in the car. So even if you have a co-driver, the, the, a person starts the policy, but the policy is on the vehicle. Yeah. Now the co-drivers, they don't both sit in the vehicle when it's being run on the course. Just one at a time, sit in the car, right? Sure. I mean, for local events, it's it's whatever. You're allowed passengers at local events. At all national events, you will you are only in the car by yourself. Uh, the only time you'll see that different is if um, 
if a parent or somebody needs to ride with somebody who yeah. is a permitted driver. So we have seen even at national championships where somebody who grew up driving what we used to have junior carts, that isn't a thing right now because of insurance for SCCA, but we used to have a class that ran at nationals for like seven and eight year olds in carts all the way up to like 14. And, um, you know, they'd get in the cars at like 16 and I had a permit, literally had their pa passenger be their parent riding with them because this was, you know, what their license said they had yep. to do. But yeah, no, it's 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 individual driver. You're not supposed to have any communication with the driver during the run, so you can't like coach them through the run or anything like that. I noticed uh, yesterday it was a test and tune day. Sure. Yesterday, and I saw some people that were some passengers, but it almost kind of looked like they were taking them for for fun, just to show them the experience. Could be. I mean, yeah. it could be anything. It could be a friend that they told to come out and watch. So yeah. that's great. It's a good way to get people involved because be transparent. Watching autocross isn't always the most exciting thing until you get in the car and you realize how much yeah. effort is really being exerted. Uh, we'll have to get you in a car at some point if you didn't manage to. Uh, oh, that that'd day. be we'll great. Get you I'd love some to. Event. I don't know if we can do it this weekend, but oh, at some that's point. A, that's okay. Another another time. Yeah. Um, but yeah, or it can be your co-driver, which, you know, can either be the car owner or your friend. It could be somebody that doesn't, has never autocrossed before, but is autocrossing at the event and you're showing their way through the course or they're trying to coach you or you're trying to coach them. It's yeah. uh it's open to anything. There's no real structure to it. Cool. Well, um, yeah, I appreciate your time. Thank you Thank so you. much for the download of all the information. Sounds good. Uh, I'm learning a little bit more about this every day. Thank you. Thank you. I want to thank you for listening to Driven to Compete. It's been a pleasure sharing this episode, and I hope we've provided some inspiration and entertainment along the way. If you like the content, please share and like. But I have one ask for everyone listening. I would appreciate more than anything to add you to my weekly newsletter. Simply visit my website, driventocompete.com, and you'll see a form to get on my newsletter where I share exclusive content and giveaway swag.